out. Hello, I'm Hugo, Hugo Burnham, the drummer and one of the founders of Gang of Four. And this is my record. Obviously, I've had a lot of records. It started when I was 13, the summer of uh, 69. We didn't really have a record player in the house up to then. We all watched Top of the Pops every week, religiously, just like everybody in England did. But there was no record player until my brother Jolyon and I came home from school one Saturday for lunch, because we went to Saturday school, because, you know, it was a bit of a posh school. We got into the house and my dad said, oh, I bought myself a present. I was like, yeah. <laughs> he said, it's on the dining room table. So we went in there and there's a record player sitting there. You know, one of those things with the lid and where the records could drop down on a long spindle. And it was like, whoa. And he said, yes, and I bought myself a record. And sitting there on it was the blue label Decca 7-inch of Honky Tonk Women. Which we'd all three days before, on the Thursday evening, been dancing around the television room together with Dad, because that's what his thing was. And it was like, oh, wow. And he said, yes, it's my present, but I think I'd like you to keep it in your room. <laughs> so that was his way of buying us our first record player. I didn't have the parents who told me to turn that shit down. Neither of them were musicians, but they welcomed it. So Honky Tonk Women was ground down nearly flat very soon. And very soon after, I went to the shop up the high street in Cranbrook, where we lived, and bought my first single, which was Something in the Air by Thunderclap Newman. There was also, an, for some reason, in the rack there, an old record, Let There Be Drums by Sandy Nelson. We get to Christmas of 69, and my mum bought me Let It Bleed by the Rolling Stones. So it was this fabulous record. It was a red label because it was stereo. And I remember very early on, the needle jumped right in the beginning of the first song. And that stayed with me for years, but it jumped in tempo. So you heard it, but it, it didn't throw you off when you were dancing. <laughs> so that was one of the really essential parts for me when I bought it years later again or maybe got it on cd eventually it was like this sounds odd because <laughs> it didn't skip but it skipped in tune so there was something to be said for that the opening bars really sort of quietly sort of oh this is all a bit musical and then suddenly blam blap, blap. and I, I just that drum thing blap, blap. it got inside my head and my heart to this day when I hear that song starting up anywhere on the radio, Spotify, when I'm playing it at home on vinyl, just the hairs on my neck go up still all these years later. The great strength of this record was that it was the transition between the brilliant and tragic Brian Jones era and the new, also quiet in a way, but forceful drive of Mick Taylor. It was almost the best of both of them. Mick Taylor brought them into the great trilogy, which I think starts with this record, and then into Sticky Fingers and obviously Exile. This is the one. I have fought online, in bars, on tour buses with people about which is the greatest Stones record. And they said, Sticky Fingers was amazing, fantastic. Ugh. But Let It Bleed, it was fierce. It was rude. It was sexy but without thinking it was sexy, sexy, but there's something just, like, wrong here. Everything is dangerous. Everything is brilliant. It's the best of Charlie Watts, and 
Charlie has always been my darling. I've always listened and watched and over the years learned more and more about him. He's essential to all their records. Midnight Rambler, this great long song. One of the bits I loved was the tempo shift in the middle that they pulled off. So it's just like, what's happening? What's happening? The first time you hear it, you know, a bit, bit like, that, like the faces did, you know. You can't talk about this record without talking about Jimmy Miller. Matches made in heaven. They came together at the best time for both parties, really. They were both at their peak working together. I mean, it was fantastic. A lot of my own canon as the Gang of Four drummer, I really stole from Charlie, particularly from Monkey Man. It's the Rack Tom thing. And it's... And it's just that really simple, elemental, you know, he doesn't flail around the kit. He doesn't overplay. And that's something that really worked when the four of us started getting together was we don't want to overplay. It was a very short time in my life that I was impressed with drummers. Charlie drove like a jackhammer. So it's that... And I put that into quite a lot of our early songs. I mean, Bobby Keys, you know, how can you not make a great record when you've got sidemen like Bobby Keys? Another one like Jimmy Miller, who sort of got so far deep into being a Rolling Stone, he, they kicked him out after a while because he, he just went too far. It's a hard gang to be a part of. I thought my gang was difficult to be in, but keeping up with the Stones was definitely men's work. And some of the hardiest fell, got back up again and came back, <laughs> like Bobby Keys. But yeah, not many of them make old bones. Live With Me, those dirty, dirty lyrics. Verse two, there's a score of harebrained children locked up in the nursery. They've got earphone heads. I didn't know that for 20 or 30 years. I didn't know what it was. It's like airborne, airborne, airborne. Airborne heads? Is it a makeup word? I mean, you know, like the first time you hear honky tonk women. I mean, how many people didn't have their own pictures, photographs on their album sleeves? Okay, there were these little cake models, but still, it was inventive, it was arty, it was fun. Every time I see it, it's like, oh, oh, I just want to pick the record up and put it on. I, I mean, I did tell my mum and dad thanks all the time. They were really supportive. I mean, they used to come to Gang of Four shows in some of the strangest places, but whenever we were near London, they would come. They were really supportive. And the first time we went to London, we were playing with the Buzzcocks, Sunday night at the Lyceum, and my dad was coming back that afternoon from Paris. He was in the rag trade, fashion business. He was coming back from the big thing there. And I said, can you come to the Lyceum and just come and see us play? Well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. When I went to see him the next day in the showroom, I just, he said, hmm, well, you're clearly not fucking about, so it's great, keep at it. Because he thought we were messing around. <laughs> but he's, he said right there, you're clearly not fucking about at this. Very good. <laughs> he was right. Yeah, we weren't messing around. Turned out pretty good. You know, no regrets. Lots of mistakes, but no regrets. Hey, Hugo Burnham. Thanks for sharing your story on my record. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us about? I would love to tell you about the fact that we've just, Gang of Four, that is, we've just released through Matador Records a big box set just about all our work from 1977 to 1981, with the original lineup with Dave Allen on bass and dear departed Andy Gill, of course, and John King and I. It's a gorgeous piece. It has the first two albums, Entertainment and Solid Gold, all remastered from the original master tapes at Abbey Road in London, where they've been in storage. 
a double album of a live album from San Francisco, the uh, North American Indian Center from 1980, which is ferocious, and one of all the singles at the time. There's also a cassette in there of our early demos and a book, a 100-page book of so much stuff. We're really proud of this. We put an awful lot of work into it. It's, it, it's John King's masterpiece in terms of the way it was designed, the way it all came together. Thanks, Hugo. You can visit gangof47781.com to learn more and follow Hugo at twitter.com slash Hugo Burnham. Join us next time when we'll have a great mystery guest we're still booking. To make sure you don't miss my record, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Take a moment to rate and review us too. Check out photos of our guests and connect on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Just search for my record. That's one word. You can email us at myrecord at popcultworldwide.com. My Record is produced by PopCult. Executive producers are Dennis Shire and Lars Murray. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.